The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Woo More Play. Are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Woo More Play has you. You guys, they have the best vibrator. I'm telling you, it has five speeds. It's strong. It's good. It gets the job done. But most importantly, it has a cute vibrator cover. So no more traveling with your vibrator, like being in your makeup bag, getting next to your foundation and your beauty blender. No, no, no. We have now the cutest little cover. It's almost like a toothbrush cover for your vibrator. It's so cute. You want it on your Instagram feed. Plus the coconut oil lube, which is such a standout. You can eat it like it, suck it, fuck it. We have a code for you. If you're looking for a little spice to add to your relationship or a one night stand, or you just want better sex, you're going to go to woomoreplay.com and use code him and her for 20% off. That's code him and her for 20% off. I'm telling you, everything on the site is good. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. So we made our logo and all of the design of our can out of like literal handwriting because we really wanted her to be sort of your best friend, a person, something you could interact with in that way, not brandy. We, you know, didn't use agencies or anything like that. It's just all, all us. And sometimes it shows. If you see old cans, you can tell that it's like it's been a, a constant work in progress. You have probably seen in my Instagram stories, Bev. I've I've seen... <laughs> It's, it's all over the place, Bev. We have it everywhere. And we have it all over our house. The baby was grabbing it off the counter the other day. I had to put it up. Let's clarify. The baby was grabbing a closed can. I don't need people to be coming at me and saying, why has the baby got a bunch of wine? She doesn't have wine. It's closed. She just loves to grab the cans for some reason. She does have a wine cup, though. That's she does it with every can. So cute. <laughs> One of a kind. Oh, God. I feel like you should leave that in. It's kind of funny. I'm going to leave it in. That was our producer. He just ate shit and flew down off the whatever he's doing back there. But um, listen, guys, it doesn't always go the way it's planned. So we're just going to keep rolling. (laughs) Taylor was beating his meat too hard and he just fell off his chair. (laughs) Anyways, back to Bev. He's had too many Bevs. (laughs) He's had too many Just kidding. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. If you're going to start with Bev, I would try the rosé. That's the one that I like to throw in my purse when I'm getting in an Uber. It's so good with the pixie straw. It's dry. It's delicious. So because I'm so obsessed with Bev canned wine, we went straight to the source to interview the founder. She is a gorgeous, smart woman named Alex Peabody. She's 30 years old and she signed a deal with Gallo, the largest family owned winery in America. And she's really helping canned wine get this expansive presence. You will see Bev on the shelves of Target, Albertsons, BevMo, Safeway, and Total Wine. You'll also see it all over Instagram because it's so aesthetically pleasing. This is for the people who want to learn how to bootstrap a business, learn more about business, hear about the grit that it takes to take it to the next level. With that, let's welcome the incredible Alex Peabody to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Tell me what the pitch is. Pretend you're in overalls right now. What's the pitch? For me, originally, it was so hard to raise money for Bev. Like, so hard. Because I had no experience. I had no idea what anything was. Like, nothing about the industry. It's a super tough industry. There's kind of like a reason that things keep 
popping up with celebrities and whatever. And they're really all owned by a lot of the same people. Right. So you end up in this like kind of whatever annoying situation. But not a lot of people want to invest in the early stages of a business like this. They want like the margins and the numbers and the growth. But you have to buy a shitload of product, right? Every like in order to get your numbers. And it's really, really expensive. And so I was trying to raise money. I was trying to figure out people who would like invest in booze. A lot of places won't invest in booze because they have money from endowments or, you know, whatever it is like that. They have like clauses. And I finally kind of hacked it and figured it out and got one of the investors to fly down to my house, which was also my office at the time. I had a bunch of my employees. I was like, you guys just, you know, I know you left at five, but like, I need you to come back and like pretend you're still working at, you know, at nine when he gets here. He was like also late like I was. And at that point, I had like given up on anybody funding me ever. Like I was just like, fuck it. Nobody's going to do it. I'm never going to get it. I'm exhausted. I've been doing this for like a year. Like it's just never going to happen. And so I, I literally was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not even changing. Like it's, this is just going to be yet another heartbreak. And then he came, my cat sat on his lap and he was like petting my cat for a while. And, um, I got a term sheet the next day. You know, what's so interesting about that? Cause I, I have a similar story with Dear Media and we won't have to get into it, but it's, it's a weird thing because ultimately, you know, why this is probably so successful outside of the funding is because you have a vision, you're an operator, you're a creative, you're all these things that take you, that have nothing to do with actually funding, right? And similar to like, you know, when, when I went out and started doing funding, it's like, what I want to do is I want to operate the business. I want to run the company. 100%. And like the funding thing is such a... It's a whole, it's a job in and of itself. Yeah. And I it's think ridiculous. there's there's a lot of people and maybe you've probably seen this, that get really good at kind of like hacking the system and, and get really good at like fundraising. Like we know these people, like they're good it's at- It's like a sport. Yeah, they're good at- Yeah. They know the right people. They know how to bring on the funds, but they're not necessarily great operators, right? Like they're just good at raising capital. And I think we've we've we're, we've been in this culture for a while where it's like running to could raise- could go on for days about no, but this. I, but yeah. I it's, it's important to talk about because I think like, you know, people read headlines and they're always, it drives me nuts. People are like, congratulations on the round. Congratulations. And they're like celebrating. A well, that's not like, even something to congratulate. That's me, what I'm saying. Yes. Really? It's like, a, it's not. It's it's an obligation now. Yeah. And well, and you get on a treadmill, right? And so like raising money is a dangerous vice. Yes. And, and so like you raise it, then you think you have to hire and you have to scale, you overhire, you have to scale back. You know, you're kind of, you, you have to think about what people who invest want and they want to own more of a successful business. So they're going to push you to spend while you're succeeding. And it's a fine line for you to be like, no, I, you know, how do I hug the line between profitability and growth? Right. And then you're on a treadmill where you're just constantly, you know, your goal is to not lose too much money, but to still lose money and until you make it to the next round. It's almost like a video game, you yeah. know? And not just that, but I think people, especially young founders, they get in trouble because they don't realize that their goals may not be the investors' goals. 100%. Right? And like the investors have, like this is a formula for them. Like they need to put out X amount of dollars to get X amount of dollars back. And yeah. they're willing to sacrifice some of those dollars along the way to get returns later on. So, you know, you may like, in, in, a, in a founder's perfect world, like, hey, I built this profitable business and I can maybe sell it at some point for X amount. But if that doesn't fit their formula, they're going to sabotage that deal. So I think a lot of young people need to think about that. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's, the, oh my gosh, I have so much to say on this. I mean, first of all, you know, one of the things that I kind of learned the hard way, frankly, about this whole shebang <laughs> is asking people up front, what are your investment return expectations? What are your timeline expectations, right? Like you, you get these like crazy runaway valuations if someone's really good at fundraising, 
but you don't necessarily know what it is that they are expecting you to return on that until you're kind of like in it and you're not performing up to what they need, right? And so that's one thing that I learned the hard way was be super clear with people about, okay, if you give me this valuation, are you expecting a 4X return in three years? Like, can I actually do that? Can I provide that? Like, is that going to literally kill me and like exhaust me to the ground? Like, that's one thing that I think is really important. The other thing, which is, you know, kind of a more tactical, technical thing, but a lot of times these term sheets that'll come in and stuff like that, you really have to you know, have a good legal team and understand what it means. Because a lot of places they'll put in liquidation preferences, which basically means we get paid back 4X our return before you get a dollar. So I know many people who have raised a bunch of money and sold their company thinking like, oh my God, this is great. It's so much and made nothing. They didn't basically. realize oh. the, the liquidation preference. Yeah. No, yeah. There's like so there's many, so many technical things like that and nobody teaches you them. Yeah. There's so many things. And I think like, I want to start talking about a little bit more. Mostly I want to get your story here. So like, this is probably not the right place, but I do think someone in your, it's important to talk about because to your point, a lot of young founders, they get it, they get on this path and they start thinking I'm going to bring on funds and they don't really realize what they're signing up for. Yeah. And I'm a bigger fan of just going, maybe getting a couple of friends, family, angel checks, bootstrapping for as long as you can before you have to get on that path. So you have a little bit more leverage at least. hundred percent. I mean, successfully closing a round is very difficult and it is something to be celebrated, but what's something to be celebrated more is turning a profit <laughs> and being sustainable and not needing to raise money from people, right? And that's that's what I that's the small piece of guidance I would give is like think about your business model first and then the money that you, you know and how you could if worse comes to worse bootstrap it if you really had to and if you if you're confident enough that you could do that if you had to, then you have a strong business model and you're better off when you're raised capital. I want to get into how you got in the booze business in the first place. Honestly. Like, let's me go too. back I have to the no childhood. Idea. She started fundraising <laughs> and started drinking. No. Yeah, I was about four. No, just kidding. Honestly, it, it still baffles me how I ended up here sometimes. Very windy roads. So I never thought I would be in booze. Like, not like a not like a wine person, really. Not. I mean, I like wine, don't get me wrong, but like not, you know, snob, wine snob or anything like that. It was never about the product for me, ever. I went to school. I went to an all-girls school most of my life. I did not understand this whole concept of like women being afraid to raise their hands or having like less opportunity. That was just, I just didn't get it because I was like, well, of course I can be class president. Like any girl here can be class president, right? Or whatever it is, like these little things. I'm actually, weirdly, a pretty strong believer in girls' schools at, for girls at young ages as a result of this, and boys and just co-ed, just go co-ed. It just never dawned on me that sexism, like, was real or existed at all. And then I, I left. I actually, I left my school in ninth grade for high school to study abroad, and that was, like, a totally different culture. People had a really different experience with alcohol in general. Like, I was in France, then I was in Italy, and then I went to Dartmouth. And Dartmouth College I have, is a place I just have like a lot of mixed emotions about. Like I think I would have, I would have at any university because it's so frat heavy, and sororities are not allowed to throw parties. That's but, a national but, rule. But the fraternities are what? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's how it is. That's a national rule. Did you know that if you have over six women living in a house in most states, it's considered a brothel by law. Oh, come on. Swear to God. Okay, they need to get I with the fucking times. I did not know that law, but I just knew that, I, like, thinking back to college, I knew the sororities weren't allowed to have anybody over. Nope. Besides the people that live there. Yeah. 
Exactly. So you're basically, so you basically have this, you know, it was the first time that I'd ever been like, oh, wait a minute. Like I, I under, like I get what people are talking about here. And I started a group there called Smart Women Securities that still runs today, like trying to help women learn about investing. I didn't know anything about investing. So I got like folks from the business school to come teach it. I've always just kind of cared about this, I guess is is what I'm trying to say. And I, like many of my friends, dealt with sexual assault at Dartmouth. And so, you know, one of the things that I did to kind of deal with that was I wrote this this paper that ended up like kind of going viral when I was right out of college. I wasn't I wasn't brave enough to post it while I was still there, but like a year after I graduated around why good men stay silent and toxic masculinity and drinking culture and what happens when you like insert alcohol into the mix. All to say that it, it was not about like booze at all. It, it was kind of these like passions that have always driven me. And I always knew I wanted to do something about it, but I didn't know how or when or where. And then I went to my first job. I don't think I've actually told anybody this before in a public setting, but I will tell you. I went to my first job. My first boss within my first three months of work got fired for sexually assaulting me and 12 other women. But I was like the direct report. So that was, you know, the line. And I was like, how about 11? Is 11 not the line? That's crazy to me. And so it was, I know what you're do, like, what do, what do you mean? Like the, the line? No, I mean, I mean, it's like the, the first 11 times this was reported wasn't enough. Oh, like, okay, okay, okay. It has yeah, to be, like it's it has okay, to be time 12. number 12. Like, like oh, that how, was the time when someone's like, hey, we're doing something about they, this. And then they they let him go. And okay. which I, you know, they, and but they handled it. happened to him? He just got let go? Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, they handled it as far as I was concerned, fine. And, and I stayed there for a couple of years, but it was very, you know, I was in the finance world. It was also very fratty and male heavy and all of this kind of stuff. So at a certain point, just wanted a change of scenery. Moved out to San Francisco, took a job as an executive headhunter, which nobody understood why I was doing that. But I basically was like, I've never been there. And if I move there and my job is to meet people, then it will serve me later when I eventually want to start something. And yeah. And I mean, okay, next twist of the story. And then I got sick. So I don't know if if you've heard about this at all. We have done all the research. We see it all. So then I got sick. I just basically had reproductive health issues and it was costing thousands and thousands of dollars for medical bills. I went through like three different insurance plans, maxed them all out, had to freeze eggs, which wasn't covered at all by insurance. And I was trying to figure out how the fuck I was going to pay for all of this stuff. So I started throwing these parties basically just at my aunt and uncle's house in Sonoma and charging tickets for them. And I and that was kind of like where Bev, I think, was really sprung in a way. But it wasn't I don't know. It was it was a moment in my life that was so I was it was hard, but it was beautiful. And I was really it was really like a reckoning for me of who am I? Where am I going? You know, who do I want to be? What does it mean if I can't have kids one day? How do I learn how to love myself, you know, outside of what the confines of what I think womanhood should be? And I just started, you know, having more fun and like taking things a little less seriously and understanding that risk was not real. It was all in my imagination. And at that point, I basically found a moment in my life and I was like, I want to make this moment in my life and I want to bring this to other people and make them see that there's you know, that there's a different, there's a different way. We're, we're moving through this quickly, but I want to, I want to address the trauma here real quick, because from that college experience, from that experience you had at your former job, like these are traumatic things. And it sounds like you grew up in an environment that was somewhat protected because you're in this all girls place where like 
most likely these traumas aren't occurring. So what does that do to your psyche at the time? Because it's, I mean, this is some heavy stuff to, to yeah. Deal with I know. Through. I just like blew through that really, really fast. Well, I just think, I think it's important to <laughs> no. Talk I think about. there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast, and this is an, a, not an issue that I think we've talked about enough. So I would love to just know more if you have any resources where women can go if they're feeling harassed. Maybe someone doesn't want to. They want to rem- remain anonymous. Like, if there's anything that you can share with us. Yeah, well, I, I mean, think the reason because if you're somebody on the surface now that's had this trauma, but you've also, you've obviously persevered and helmed a huge company, which is, and I think there's, there's value with like people hearing this story that they can extract for themselves. Okay. So guess what just got delivered to my door? My Sakara. I am obsessed with this meal delivery. Okay. First of all, their stuff is organic. It's ready to eat. They just delivered, you guys, like your mouth is going to water, the superfood sweet potato bowl, the watermelon rose salad, and they have the Saqqara bowl. It has like brown rice, seasonal vegetables, kimchi, and a chili sauce, and it is delicious. I am absolutely obsessed with their meal program. If you're looking for meals on the go and you're like me and you have a very, very overwhelming calendar, but you still want to eat really creative chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, you have to check them out. It's so fresh when it's delivered. I have tried so many meal delivery services, especially with what I do with the Skinny Confidential. I'm constantly trying stuff. And I have to say that this one is by far the best. And I think it's because their main mission is wellness. So it's like a very much um, like an overall wellness approach. They have rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, the New York Times. Everyone is obsessed with them. The founders have been on our podcast. And I just know after talking to them that they really put thought into each meal. So each meal, they want to empower your body, boost your skin's glow, or just make you feel your best. And I'm a huge fan of the fact that they really focus on plants. I have been toying with the idea of kind of going vegan 80% of the time. So I still eat meat, but I like to have vegan options available. So to have this delivered straight to my door and know that it's fresh and that they've already done sort of all the work for me, I'm obsessed. Okay. You also have to check out their chlorophyll. I just ordered that. I put that in my water and they also have these beauty drops. Right now, Sakara is offering All Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash skinny or inner code skinny at checkout. Guys, that's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash skinny. And you're going to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash skinny. Drop into my DMs and let me know how you like it. You know, trauma can break you or it can fuel you. It's up to you. Right. And if if it starts to break you and it's okay to be broken for a while, you know, it is. And but but then you're letting it win. And like, is that really do you want to live having let it win? You know, no. And I think for me, I lived for a little too long letting it win, you know, and I think that when, you know, when all of sort of the health issues happened and, you know, it was really just like a reckoning is really the best best way to frame it. And I just started, you know, I mean, I started throwing parties, right, which was so weird and random. And what and it kind of evolved for me into how do we make safer spaces for women in general? Right. And once I started thinking about like uh, booze is involved almost always there. 
I would be shocked if you surveyed 10 female friends and, you know, fewer than eight of them had a story, right? That so many people do. And I think for me, it was, you know, how do I, how do I celebrate not only like the women, but also like the, the men who are good and doing good and good guys who maybe might be quiet in a really male environment, but in a female environment, like, you know, they feel they feel permission to like not take shit in that kind of way. To me, it was very much like, how do I like foster that type of environment? I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, that that didn't totally that wasn't no, directly no, no, answering your question. Just, I think that like, you know, one, like, you know, we're still pretty primal animals, all like, humans in general. Right. And you start to, you start to put a bunch of young people that have never been outside of their parents' home. I'm talking about a college yeah, environment. Yeah, and in and a frat basement with tons of booze. Yeah, and, and those booze no are bueno. typically not quality and strong <laughs> as hell and like mixed with God knows what. And you put all those into a pot together. Like there's It's the perfect storm. Yes. Yeah, it's totally the perfect storm. And I think a lot of schools fail young women. Not honestly. to give it a pass, right? Like it's not, I'm not condoning that. But what I'm saying is like you put all that together in a pot and then also you have a country where that is maybe not the most responsible country when it comes to alcohol. Like you talked about going to France. My sister went to France abroad too. And the the culture around alcohol there is completely, you don't go out there to binge drink. Right? No, no. You like just, you, it's it, just part it's of normal. the vibe. Yeah. But here, you know, in my college days, like people were going, like I was talking to my buddy, they're like, you go out and you get fucked up. Yeah. Right? A hundred percent. And then you're surprised like, oh my God, like this didn't end up well. A hundred percent. And let me, let me take that small moment to plug that Bev is like most women stronger than she looks. So don't drink it like Be beer. <laughs> Tread lightly. Um, okay. I can I can attest to that because we were talking earlier about how when Michael's rushing me out the door, I grab a can of Bev and stick a pixie straw in it and drink it on the elevator and yeah. in the Uber. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's done before she gets in the car. Yeah, I know. Just don't drink it like beer. Like, you know, like some of our some of our friends have in the past. But it's a lesson usually you only have to learn once, though. But but yeah, I think, you know, I think part of what I'm trying to do and this I've never really articulated it this way before so it's it sounds you know bear with me but I think part of it is that there isn't anything in those environments if you think about a bar or a frat basement or you know these places where a lot of these things are going down just look at the the back of the bar like how are those things branded it's all dark black targeted towards it doesn't fit with my Instagram aesthetic yeah or targeted towards men trying to buy drinks for women, right? 100%. So what does that say about whose space it is? You know, Ooh. like to, to me, that's something where it's, what does that say about you're not, you know, you're an accessory to like, to a male vibe, right? And that's, and, and I think you also have this situation right now where being like a good dude, as we call them, we love our good dudes. Michael, you're a good dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, the arc's leaving. I'm, I'm we, coming with you guys. Yeah, so we love, get stuck with we love, we love men, our right? good dudes. But like being a good dude is is becoming more and more normalized and mainstream popular, whereas being like a hard frat bro, is it's a little, you know, starting to get a little passe, which is good, which is what we want, right? And for me you know, this also serves as a signal, as silly as it sounds, where, you know, a guy holding this, he's saying something about who he is, what he stands for, that he's confident, that he, you know, it's like, yeah, he's he's going to be like, he yeah, wants I drink you to that. Say that. I did go he, for he the He wants blue you to one. say he's holding it. You are, you are holding I, it. I did go Michael for the blue is, one, is holding you know, it. I looked at the red. No, you know, like, it's okay. a, the blue is a gateway drug because then you move to the yellow and then suddenly you're kind of in the pink coral zone and now you're rose. just like, heck yeah. I'm going to drink the Sauvignon Blanc. 
yeah, that's I that's I mean that one's a that one's a great one. But you know what I mean? And so it's it's all in the little cries, right? It's all in the little things. And how do we make little moments more approachable for people, gentler, like kinder? And also, you know, to me, it's like giving people permission to say, yeah, I like I love that this is made by chicks. I want an environment and a world that looks like the one that, you know, that they're trying to build. I want to be part of that. For me, that's that's what it's always been about. So I actually thought I wanted to build a media events company to get back to how the heck I ended up in booze. Let me tell you, don't build a fucking media company. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it, it, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> I literally was like, well, that's a hard long road. And I, if I want to build a brand, I should probably have like, you know, something that I sell that makes money. So I have the utmost of admiration for building a media company because that shit is not easy. I basically ended up in booze because I gave up on the media on the media company. Listen, I might not be far behind you. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you, I know a guy for wine if you need somebody. But um, yeah, so I, I basically started, I started looking at different models and I kind of looked at the Red Bull model and was like, well, that is really a brand. It's a media company that happens to be fueled by beverage sales. I have a brand and an ethos and a mission. Our, you know, our tagline or our, not our tag, our tagline is made by chicks, which is also our podcast, which you all should be on and come listen to. I Small love plug. it. Um, yeah, I do. I do that sometimes and talk about hard things. But it's do it different, do it better, break the glass. That's our mission, mission statement. And so, you know, so we really are like that before anything else. And then I was like, well, booze is kind of integrated into, you know, all of the things that I care about and want to change culturally. And so I might as well just go into that industry. Turns out, wouldn't recommend, hugely expensive, very regulated, very difficult, but I'm having a blast regardless. Okay, so so Most days. tell us how <laughs> the first Bev came to fruition. Like walk us through the steps. Yeah, so it started... You know, I got a little pushback on the first can color originally where it was like, oh, it's, you know, what? why did you pick that color? Like pink doesn't have to be for women. And I literally was like, because it's my favorite color. It was the accent wall in my bedroom when I was like a full grown woman. So so it was like, it's just, I just picked it because it was my favorite color. And so all of these colors, me and my cousin, who's our creative director, have picked ourselves like out of Pantone books, every single Bev. We, the I'm, colors are genius. Thank you. Whoever said that to you was wrong. Thank you. I, I posted one on my Instagram story the other day. I was at a bachelorette party and I was really loving how the blues of the can brought out the blues of my fun boy float and the love pool. Love that. So you picked the right Pantone. Thank you. Well, we literally have Pantone books. Like I've, you know, been involved in picking every single color. Like none of it's been outsourced, all in-house. Originally, I, I drew on a piece of paper just like what I envisioned for the can, what it kind of would, the layout would look like. And my cousin, Charlotte, works with me on it because she's a graphic designer. So I basically, I would go over to her house at nights. We would work together on just kind of the design. And yeah, and then, she, you know, she was our first hire and first employee and she's our creative director. But the, the writing on the side is by her sister, Emma. So it's literal handwriting. So we made our logo and all of the design of our can out of like literal handwriting because we really wanted her to be sort of your best friend, a person, something you could interact with in that way, not brandy. We, you know, didn't use agencies or anything like that. It's just all, all us. And sometimes it shows. If you see old cans, you can tell that it's like it's been a, a constant work in progress.
Okay, so a few months ago, I was watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Dorit had this mini Louis Vuitton backpack that was so cute. I love how it hung. It was like super little and just reminded me of, I don't know, being in high school and I needed it right away. And I didn't want to pay full price. So I went on tradesy.com. Tradesy, you guys, you have to check it out because you can save up to 90% on top designer brands. It reduces waste and you can kiss knockoffs goodbye. So you know it's the real authentic product that you're getting. I got mine in the mail. It was wrapped so cute. Honestly, I felt so good about it too because I didn't spend a gajillion dollars. I'm wearing my backpack all the time. You've seen it on Instagram stories. I just feel like if you want to shop gently loved Chanel, Dior, Louis Vuitton, Fendi, whatever, you got to check it out. Everything's authentic. Like I said, it's sustainable, which is amazing. And they also have a page so you can buy whatever you want, but you can also sell whatever you want. I actually was doing a side hustle on Tradesy for years. Michael knows this. I had all my clothes that I was selling up there and that was so awesome. It's so easy to upload. It's like very, very seamless, which a lot of the sites aren't. They take care of everything for you, okay? From making your photos of your items look great to handling the return process. I mean, what's better? You can sell your clothes. You can buy something cute. Personal style is a journey, not a destination. That is why Tradesy is making it simple and environmentally friendly to recirculate pre-owned clothing and accessories as your style changes. If you need a side hustle, go sell your clothes. I'm telling you, you're going to go to tradesy.com to get $100 off your first purchase of $500 or more with code TSC100. Keep in mind, Tradesy's prices are already up to 90% off and now they're giving you an extra $100 off, which is wild. That's Tradesy, T-R-A-D-E-S-Y.com for $100 off when you spend $500 or more on your first purchase and you're going to use code TSC100. Come see what your closet's been missing. Visit Tradesy.com today. First time buyers only. Other terms and conditions apply. Visit Tradesy.com for details. I want you to talk about the early days a little bit because I think, again, people, like maybe they tune into this show and we have founders on like yourself and they're like, this is overwhelming because they see this in stores and they see this on shelves and they see it on the podcast. I'm like, okay, like it in some ways for some people it might seem unattainable, but there were early days with this where you were just starting out and maybe you didn't have the funding, you didn't have the team, you didn't really know what you're doing. And I want you to talk about that a little because I think people don't realize like you can build something like this, but you have to start somewhere. And it doesn't always mean starting with all of this funding and all of these resources. It's really just starting like with an idea and figuring it out. Yeah. Okay. So let's make something explicitly clear. I still have no idea what I'm doing every single day. Who does? Yeah. Let's be clear. We're all just winging it. It's all a lie, you know, and and I think it's interesting. It's interesting because we just, we just closed our, our Series A round of funding and I was looking at fundraising tips that I'd written out in a document for a friend who's doing her seed. Something came up that was thoughts post fundraising. So it was just like searching fundraising. And it was what I'd written from my first round the day after it closed and the money was wired and everything. And I was terrified. Like I was just deeply terrified. And I took the time to sit down and write about it. And I was like, you know, I feel like there sh I should feel some success, but I just feel like sad worn out and scared. And it feels like I have just summited this like crazy mountain only to realize that that it's just the first plot, like the first of many plateaus. And I can't even see the top. That it's covered in clouds. exactly how my husband felt. 
Well, when he raised for Dear Media. You it's guys anticlimactic. Like, yeah. And, but yeah. also, you're like, oh my God. And I'm looking at a bank account with like more money than I've ever seen in my life. I still have my own over $60,000 of credit card debt, you know, but, and you're just kind of like, what the fuck just happened? It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And it, the pressure increases. Well, this is why I always want to caution people about this because it's, it's not, it's not like when you, when you raise around, it's not like you get all this money and it goes in your pocket and the company's all of a sudden great. What it is, is it's an obligation to bring a return to your investors and it's an obligation to take that capital and to turn it into more, right? We need to, we need to have more than one Bev over this because yeah, like, but, but this is why I think like celebrating fundraising all the time, because we've kind of gotten to, like, you know, you read about all these unicorn companies and you read about people raising all these crazy rounds. But what you don't read is between the lines, what's going through those founders' heads. And it's a ton of pressure. It's a ton of obligation. It's not like it goes in your pocket. It's It just means more work. Like, you know. It you, literally just means more. It means more gonna, work, more pressure. It gets way harder. Gets harder. I, yeah. My my co-founder, like after I closed around, I was so tired. I did, the, the, you know, for months and months and months. My Hopefully my investors are listening. Put me in the fucking ring or these guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, so. I, have, I have some of Jeff, those too. Jeff, yeah. I hope you're listening. It's really stressed <laughs> me, me out. Anyways, when it was all done, you, you're right. Like, it's not like this big celebration thing, right? You go, like, I was at Barney's Beanery in LA. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I was eating some chicken wings and some cheese and a mozzarella stick and, like, a, a shitty Wait, beer. Wait, it is so funny that you say that because right after I closed our first round of funding, we all looked around and we were like, well, what do we do now? By all, I mean, there were four of us. And we just ordered just cheeseburgers and ate french fries <laughs> yeah. and sat on the couch and, like, cried. Yeah, like, my, we were just like, exactly. okay, I guess. And then most recently... This is my this is my favorite. This is my favorite phrase. I feel like you will relate to this. It's now the real work starts. Yeah. You are, <laughs> yeah, you will hear that from every single investor you've ever had after you uh, close good money. Luck, and meanwhile, I was like, I look like Prince Philip coming home from the hospital. Like I look like I look like hell frozen over right now. I haven't taken a vacation in four and a half years. I just did when it. I did this, it was pre-COVID, and these guys had me flipping and flopping, flying all over the country, meeting all these, like, I mean. I spent, I did a, I did a fundraising video. I filmed myself in my first raise, which is something I've never actually put out, but I, I intend to do that at some point. I have like a whole video of it. I'm like sobbing in elevators and then wiping off tears and walking into things. I just did the whole thing myself because I was like, I feel like this might help people one day. You have to show that. I know, I do. I have to, I have to figure out just the right chance. I don't know. Like, maybe you, maybe you guys to, would know better than I do well, what, how to do that. But. To like, here's the thing. Like, I go back and forth. Like, I, I was gone like 180 days. Sure. No, I, I, have no Easy. Doubt. I have no doubt. I want to talk about it more, but here's the pushback and why I don't. And maybe I will at some point. Most people, if they've never done this, they'll read a headline and they'll say like, Bev gets Series A funding and they'll read the headline. It's like, wow. Like, and, it's, and it looks like a lot of money and it seems like this whole thing. And if you're not experienced and you don't understand what that process means or what that obligation to the capital is, you're like, okay, like that's a, somebody just got a lot of money. And, and so what I think the difficulty talking about it to people who have never done it or maybe don't understand the process is you think like, yeah, well, how could you complain about getting all that? But it's, oh, it's not I, a complaint. I it's literally just, joked with my husband this morning. I was like, and once again, my diamond shoes have given me blisters. <laughs> like that's, and I was like, that is, that was hilarious of me. I just really, it made yeah, me so laugh, it's, but it's, it's hard. It's, it's not like this woe is me thing, but I think there's only a few people that have actually really, you know, it's a select amount of people that go and do this type of thing. And so it's hard. It's, it's not a complaint. It's more about like, hey, this is a very stressful, large obligation. It's, you know, it takes more out of founders than people realize. And I think I want to talk about it more for young founders that are thinking, hey, the answer to running a business is just raise capital, raise capital. It, it's, it's not. The answer to running a business 
Well, God, I mean, I guess this is the multi-billion dollar question, but to me, it's the people. It's the people management. It's making sure you need people who are going to run through a brick wall for you. And those people, if managed properly and cared about and seen and strong performers, will be the thing that you turn to over and over again that will give you life back, you know? And and I don't mean like leaning on them or that, that that's not their stress to carry. But I mean, I literally, literally last night sent an email out to my management team and was like, just about some people management tips I've learned over the years, whether I know anything or not, I don't know. But basically saying, when you're at your worst, when you're the most depleted, the most exhausted, that's when you need to send an email out to your team, encouraging them, because they're going to feel that. And, you know, that's thing number one. And then two, is just like, have a real business model. Like, raising money is not a business model. It's not. And, and we've made, you know, especially tech and, you know, especially if you're not in like SaaS software or social media where it's really about, you know, building. Because I think I think one of the things is a lot of these companies that have bit, had the big headlines, they're about building followers or clicks or, you know, you know, more sort of in the in the media realm or in the SaaS realm where it's like users to monetize later. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's and hope is not a strategy. Like you have to figure out how you're going to actually monetize those things. If you're looking in like consumer products or whatever, you have to you have to look at what your margins can be now at scale. You have to look at like how much money, you know, you you spend a dollar to make a dollar, right? And you have to you have to look at those things and and you have to know in advance where your trigger points are. Money is not going to solve your problems. Yep. In fact, they're, it's going to make them bigger. Yeah, I also it's a think megaphone. like looking at your category, like for me right now, and, and I've never raised capital for outside of friends and family for outside business because I didn't, I wasn't in a category that needed it, right? Like, and I'll, I'll elaborate. Podcasting is obviously a competitive space right now. There's a lot of very big- Well, you're crushing it. Thank you. But there's, <laughs> there's a lot of big competitors in the space, a lot of big tech platforms. So you need the capital in order to keep up with the scale of what's going on in the space. Similar to you, you need capital because this is a very competitive space. There's a ton of shelf space that, that I'm yeah, sure a, you have to find over. Yeah, it's a land grab. Yeah, there's a, a screen grab. Thing, yeah. Right? And so like that, but maybe you're running a business. You're like, okay, you have room. You don't have all those competitors. You have a space where you're like, I don't, you actually don't need venture capital or scalable capital. Um, and so I think like sometimes it's not about, it's sometimes about looking at the category and saying like, does this category actually demand these dollars? And then the, the other thing I'd say, cause I, you know, was joking about shitting on my investors, but it's not just taking any check, but it's taking the right <gasps> check from the right investors. Oh my gosh. You're like, all of these things are so hot topics for me right now. I am obsessed with my new squad of investors. And, They're and amazing. that's the most important thing. Like I love my investors and like, not just saying that because they invest, but like I talked to so many different people like that we are not going to jive well like we are going to be like fighting every day and i met these guys and this and this woman and they are incredible and like yeah. we get along and we operate and it's like it feels like a partnership i have i have a piece of advice so i love helping founders particularly female founders raise capital this is like a passion of mine i do as much as i can obviously i got a lot going on but i but i really but i really try as much as i can because i do think Part of raising money is other people raising it for you. It's the back channel. It's the like, hey, this deal is cool. You know, whatever. You can't say, you can't tell someone your party's cool. Someone else has to tell, tell them your party's cool, right? That is so true. And, but the one thing that I will say, it is so tempting to just grab that check, which is part of why it's so important that you have a business model where you know if you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you could from someone that isn't right for you. But 
at the end of the day, your investor needs to be the first person you want to call when you have a problem, not the call you're dreading. That's great advice. Like that is, that's, that's the litmus test for me. Like, is this the person that I want to call and be like, everything's fucked up. Oh my God, help. Or is this the person that I'm going to be just totally terrified? Right. And it's really good advice. If, if, if it's somebody that you're going to be terrified, it's just don't just, you're marrying this person. Don't do it. I want to take a plot twist and talk about that you're dealing with an infringement copy from a tequila brand. Ooh, can we, we talk about there. that? Sure. Okay. I want to talk about that because I've seen this become a very hot topic with a lot of brands. A lot of brands are getting copied. A lot of small businesses are getting copied by big brands. A lot of artists are getting copied by brands. A lot of influencers are, honestly, a lot of influencers are copying a lot of small brands too. This is an issue that's going on. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think that there's tons of space for everybody to play, right? Just don't cheat and don't play dirty. And and I think that there's, you know, it's just not it's just not a good look. There's room for all of these products. There's room for all all of, you know, these people and all of these things. But when you're clearly knocking out off something that someone's worked really hard for, put millions of dollars in, like it's just not cool. It's just and and for me, my question then is around like, okay, well, like, what is that? Wh- what is that adding to you know, to the industry, to the space we're in? That what is that saying? And what is it saying that you're you know that you're cool with? And I think that that that's a big part of it. Is just, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe how I feel about it. But I think that people need to just win the right way. Win because your stuff is better. Your product is better. Your branding is better. That's cool. I'm down to be beat, but just not because not because you knocked off my work. I also think people can tell when people are copying. I think the main thing I've realized about creators and and business people when they get too big is they start to think the audience isn't savvy. That's true. The audience is savvy. They know if you're a second-rate version of another brand. That's what blows my mind. It's like, I'm going to pull a fast one over my audience and completely rip someone off and steal all of their branding and all of their messaging and da 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 And I'm going to I'm gonna pull it over my audience's head. Yeah. The audience is starting to call people out. Yeah. And they, you know, that's, that's part of it too. You know, when we started our new distribution agreement and partnership, you know, one of the things that our new distribution partner said to me was, you can't knock off culture and you can't knock off brands and you just can't. It's it's obvious, right? This, True. The same thing you're saying. And I think this isn't going to work without you. And I think a big part of that is because, and I don't mean that in like a cocky way, but I mean it because we, because it was a mission. It is an ethos before it was anything else. It, we are not like a product shop. That is not our thing. Like I, why would a booze company have a podcast? Like that doesn't even make sense, right? But for me, it's really about opening those conversations. And and this happens to be how I get the message to you fastest and most efficiently. Genius. It's very smart. You know, and and so for me, when it's like when, when somebody comes in and, and it's it's a weird thing too, because because I'm immediately like cringing, being like, oh God, what would legal say? Like, how does that work? And that's a whole, that's a whole issue in and of itself, right? Where it's you know, where people don't feel comfortable speaking out when when something like that is happening, that's just not right, right? But I think that there's there's an element to me that's, you know, I have to protect what the company has 
built. I think you actually, Michael was telling me the other day, if someone infringes on your trademark, you actually legally have to go after them. Well, right? you, you set a precedent if you don't, right. that it's okay to do. Right. Right. And, and our trademark, you know, like I said before, it's handwriting. It is a human. You can put her, you can sit her down in a court of law and ask her to draw it. Yeah, no, I think and it will be the same. Right. So it's like it's not it's very obvious what it is, you know, and to me, it's like just do something different. Just look just look different. Be cute and different. And that's and power to you, you know, but agreed. The trademark stuff I was saying, like you, you're right. hundred percent. You set a precedent, right? And like, if you I need my, I need my, I need a sip of bed after that. <laughs> if, if you don't, uh, you know, we've like, people, not. I think sometimes people will say like, they'll look at this mark, like as it pertains to this show. I'm like, Oh, it looks like this fun, like blog, like, but like, you know, we're pretty aggressive guarding the mark and every, anything we own, because like, you're right, you do set a precedent and you have to, you know, you're not going to take this intellectual IP or this brand you've built on that people infringe on. And if you do, you're basically saying it's okay to do so. Right? 100%. so people, people get shocked. They're like, how could you defend your mark? It's like, well, this is what. Yeah. And, and it's tough. It's, and you know, what's so brutal is that on small, younger brands and granted, like maybe people see us as a small brand. Maybe they don't. I don't really know. To me, we're just, a bunch of friends trying to build a company at the end of the day. Like that's just what's going on at HQ. Um, and we're all over the place and, to, and we're, you know, pretty tiny, but you know, but I, I, I put my whole life savings into it. Like every dollar I had, I took huge amounts of risk, you know, and I didn't have somebody who was going to be the face and, and name that was going to help promote the product. I, had, I We had to do that all ourselves. Right. And it's also like at that point, protecting your, it's protecting the work, it's protecting your investors, it's protecting you know, your team, because you you can't just you can't allow people to just go around knocking off their work in your space and expect that nothing's going to happen. And then if you're us and you're trying to build more off of because, again, we're brand first, like ethos first, whatever the. I, you know, someone can't be wearing a piece of merch that looks like us when we're building out, you know, more and more offerings in that category. It's like it's why I always have the problem with people say like it's not it's not personal, it's business, right? And it's like I don't I think people that say that they've never actually like had to put their self on the line to build a business. Cause to me, like, yeah, it's business, but it's very personal to me, right? Like you're taking a majority of your life and energy and you're taking these risks that you're putting yourself You just on tried the line. to steal half a decade. Yeah, exactly. And it's of my it is, life. It's personal, right? Like, <laughs> like that, it's not cool. If that's not personal, I what is? I completely agree with you. Right? Like it's not if that's not personal, what is? I don't know. Like this is something that you've dedicated a like you said, a decade of your life to building, it is personal to you. It has to be or else, or else you, like you, you, we mentioned, we were joking around earlier about, you know, building a media company. I think every brand at some point in the digital age has, has to, also, to be a media company. Exactly. 100%. Like you have to have a message and the product brands, they're not going to survive in, into the future if they're not, if they don't have a media, if they don't have a message, if they don't have some kind of mission, if they don't have a culture, like you can build a great product, but that's only going to last so long without all the other things. I want to talk about how you've utilized social media to build the brand. I mean, it's obviously very beautiful. You want it on your Instagram feed. How have you worked with influencers or podcasters or, you know, even on your own Instagram feed and stories built an audience? You know what? This is a great question. It still boggles my mind that we even have any followers at all. <laughs> it's like, it's all, it's all a whole thing. I put, I put, I made Bev a wine because literally liquor laws. And I knew that no distributor was going to take me seriously. I didn't have like a fancy name. 
celebrity tied to the thing. I didn't really know anything about the industry. And so, and I knew that like, you know, guys in their 50s who have worked in the industry for 20 years plus aren't going to necessarily understand the the value prop of the brand. And so I knew that I was going to need to be able to sell it direct to consumer in order to prove a market. And so that's why I picked wine because that's the only thing legally if you're if you're a winery, you're allowed to sell direct to consumer into 44 different states and have a tasting room. And so that's the reason that I picked wine. And I put it in a can and great again, this was like over 4 years ago. I put it in a can and we designed the can because I had no money. <laughs> And I was like, I need something that's going to market itself. I need something that people want to hold. That It's almost like an accessory. It goes with their outfit or whatever it is. It's cute. It's fun. And it's really, you know, it's really eye-catching so that it markets itself because I'm just not going to, I just don't have money, right? And so it was almost like an accident. Like it, it was both the fact that we could sell online, which helped. And then, it, and then it was the fact that it needed to be visually shareable, which I think is you know, part of what we were talking about, I do think that, that that it's just you you work so hard and you put so much into these things and and they're they're worth protecting because they have they've built a rapport and a conversation with your consumers, right? And I think for us, in terms of you know growing organically and you know working with with people like you guys is just the best and people who are really aligned on on what we believe in is really the thing. Like, I don't like, you know, and we're also limited on what we can do in terms of selling product out because we're booze. So it's really, you know, it's people who are, who engage with us do it because they care about who we are. You work with your husband. I do. Yeah. I'm like, he's the person you should really be asking me about this. How <laughs> is that going? Because it goes, it ebbs and flows for oh, us. Does we it? selfishly try to find the does gems it? of life. I almost murdered him and buried him in the backyard on Saturday. Do you so. need help with the shelf? Just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us about how you work with your husband. Oh, no. I He is, I mean, he's amazing. And he is my, foil is the wrong word, but my the yin to my yang is what I mean to say. Jeff is very, he's very focused. He's very analytical. He, you know, he's, he's really good at what he does. I think a huge part of bringing Bev to where it is in terms of social, you know, has to do with Jeff and, you know, and our creative team and marketing team in general. But when he came in, things really started to, to pick up. And frankly, in many ways, he saved my ass at that point because COVID had just hit and he he's really good, you know, with, with online. And were you guys working together in the beginning or? No, I started the company before I met him. So it was okay. a really, it was a really excellent recruiting strategy, if I do so so myself. <laughs> um, but Smart. yeah, so, and he was very pro- separation of church and state, not doing it, not going there. But he ran a marketing agency that did a lot of work for White Claw launches that, like a while ago. And so at a certain point, and he's also pretty, he's so humble. He's so quiet, you know, for the most part. He's he's somebody that's like one-on-one. You are the, the center of his attention and focus. And he is so smart and consumes more knowledge. It drives me crazy. Like the number of books, a new book arrives every day. I joke with him. I'm like, most of the time I know what you're thinking about based on what book you ordered. And then I open it. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And I, and I check it and I'm like, oh, okay. He's, you know, worried about CAC. Like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) I don't even know. But I think, you know, he has done such a great job. But it's tough because you're constantly in this state of everyone assumes you communicate more than you do, first of all huge thing. Everyone assumes that you're like in business communication. And I don't know how big your team is, but ours is is getting bigger. I mean, we're over 20 people. And I really, in part because, which is still small, but in part because we're 
because we're married, I really want to make sure that he, you know, has full autonomy and authority over his team and people don't feel like he's constantly coming to me. Right. And so, you know, so I, I, I make a concerted effort to just let him do his thing and I do my thing. But people assume that we're having conversations at home by the time we get back that we're exhausted and drained. And what I'm really doing at home, if any of you are are listening, I'm watching The Office. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. Sometimes friends. Like, that's what's happening. And if he tries to talk to me about work or vice versa, it's just like, I can't. Like, I can't. I'm done with the day. And so I think that's one of the hardest parts for us personally, where it's kind of, there's kind of this constant assumption that you're more in tune than you are. And it's hard to carve out like, okay, this is our one-on-one about the business, like fully. And this is when we're going to have sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you do it with kids too. I mean, just, I... I literally said to him today at 9.30, I need your full attention and put it in his calendar. <laughs> She's at that age where when she was little and she didn't know what was going on, you could kind of sneak one in with her being around. Now I'm like, I can't have her anywhere in the room because yeah. I can't yeah, have you her gotta, this. You gotta, you gotta hide. I don't need anyone looking at yeah, me. I mean, I'm going to be room. calling you. I mean, my real question is how do you work together? Like, I'm going to need your well, advice. I think, we, I mean, we've talked, it's a misconception because, you know, in in our worlds, we're actually like very separate outside of this podcast. Yeah, but working together on the podcast is not a joke. I mean, it's it's something, it's like riding a bike. You just have to get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Do I still have this bruise? It is like, <laughs> it's like riding. I, I went to my chiropractor and Jeff was like, oh God, people are going to think I beat you up. But I, I went because I literally, I was like holding so much tension in my shoulders that he was like, basically, I mean, this, whatever, this is stupid. We, but he you was need like, a bath. You're, yeah, he was like, you need to roll, like, you need to breathe. We are like full church and state when it comes to our, like we manage different teams, different businesses. We're like that too. But when it comes to this pot, like the podcast is where you got to like. We're like that too. But what's tricky is that I started this business with my family. Like no one was, no one was smart enough to do it and dumb enough to take the job aside from the people who really knew me and believed in me. That's 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 true for every startup, right? Like it's going to start. And that's why a lot of people, you know, they work with friends at the beginning. It doesn't work out. You hear all these stories like it's tough. That's, you know, a lot of people I know, myself included, to certain degrees have been through that because you, you really have to take people to task when it's life or death, right, in terms of of your business. But it's, it gets a little bit more hairy for us because he manages people who have been there longer than he has who are also related to me. Oh, so that's a whole... That's a dynamic. That's, that's a, a dynamic. whole dynamic. But I do think that in many ways, just because they're so kind and sweet and like good people and we all care about the same thing and there really is like a mission behind what we're doing and everyone knows what that is. I actually think that it's, you know, we are in many ways a family business. You know, we started out that way and we're starting to scale, but it, it's helped with the culture because th- there's a there's a built-in, you know, nest egg of how people interact with each other that's honest and, you know, I think if you can make it work, it's one of the most rewarding things. hundred percent. Right. Like, and I, so I don't want to discourage people, but we joke all the time. And I say like, don't do it if it's going to jeopardize like this, right? Like if it's like, you know, one of the first businesses I was a part of was with my dad and like it, you know, me and my dad have always been so close, my best friend, but like we became so much closer and like there was some dark parts trying to navigate that, but figuring it out. I'm like, we have, now we don't work together anymore, but we had that experience. Same with my wife. Like I think if you can make it work and you can get through the tough stuff, it is rewarding, but it's not a, at the expense of the other stuff. It's 100% worth it. So originally when Jeff and I started working together, I I just asked him to consult. And I was like, 90 days, just help me. Like, I'm drowning. This is our 
like family business in many ways. And so my, you know, my investors were cool with it, obviously, because he's really good at everything he does, which is annoying. So he stayed he stayed for 90 days, and then 90 days turned into 120 days, and then 120 days has turned into like almost two years. But you know, I've had the company for four. I started it four years ago. I have a feeling it's gonna work out. The, I, I the business? Fe- the business and the relationship. We had this crazy moment the other day. Yeah, the, the relationship is is going well. But we do, you know, check in. It's like, is this still working? You know, and same with all of, all of my, there's like a dedicated time to talk to family and friends who have been here for a long time on, you know, maybe it's like a quarterly basis where it's like, is this still working for us? Let's be real. And I think that's really important if you're working, especially at the beginning, if you're working with family. But we had this crazy moment the other day. Sorry, just one small thing where we signed like a contract because we're the we're the partner of the Rose Bowl. And it was, I don't the know. The Rose Bowl, like the flea market? Yeah, yeah, in LA. Yeah. Um, I didn't uh, know that. That's rad. Wait, it hasn't been announced yet, but you guys, whatever. My team gets mad at me because I spill the tea all the time, but it's fine. And so I just have no filter. And so we signed this contract and it's, you know, to to do promotions with them and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, my God, these people assume I'm still going to be here like three years from now. No one's ever had that much faith in the fact that we're still going to exist. Right. Like, I think from the outside, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that the company's growing. It's doing well. It was jarring. I was like, that's as long as I've existed. That's why it's so good to hear these stories, though, and and, and show, showcase this on the podcast. And I think it's so inspiring. What is a book, a podcast, a resource that's brought you a lot of value with your business that you would leave our audience with? The Advantage is a book that's really great. And Principles, Ray Dalio. 100% agree. Great Which book. is actually where I worked, by the way. Really? What? How can you just More glaze tea. over that? <laughs> yeah. But is Ray Dalio amazing? He's, yeah, he's great. He's I'm really obsessed great. with him. I listen to all his podcasts he's, on random podcasts. He's really, yeah, he's really wonderful. Cool. Yeah. They've really, you know, figured, granted, it's it's for, for some, not for others, and and they're but they're straight about that, right? And I think that that's something that I took a lot of learnings from in terms of like building a culture. They've done a really good job and just making it clear. And it's like, if it's for you, if it's for you, if it's not, it's not, but it works for the people in it, you know? And I, and that's that's something that's really hard to build. So I have a lot of respect for that. Great book Great recommendations. Book. I'm ordering the advantage. Where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out, pimp Bev out, and we'll do a oh. giveaway maybe afterwards. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. At Drink Bev is the Bev Instagram I'm at Alix Peabody, A-L-I-X Peabody. It's weird because my mom's French. And uh, check out our Made by Chicks podcast and buy Bev on drinkbev.com. If you were going to start with one of the Bevs, I would start with the varietal pack. I'm a huge fan of that one or the rosé. That's the first one that I became obsessed with before I I even knew you. I'm obsessed with it. I put a pixie straw in it. It's so good in the refrigerator. I can't even believe that you were obsessed with the product Huge fan. before knowing me. It That's, it's, for, just, it's crazy to me. Like it's still just I so, that it's in my house for so long. Just for those listening, it is still wild to me that there are people I don't know and haven't begged to purchase buying this product. Like, thank you. I, I think <laughs> Huge fan. This has been in our house for like at least forever for, like, for, since we lived in San Diego. Huge yeah. fan. That's it's crazy. It's dry. It's not too sweet. There's zero sugar. You guys, I'm such a fan. I'm going to talk with you about doing a giveaway. So stay tuned. Thank you Let's so much it. for coming thank on. Come you. back anytime. Thank you so much. Bev is doing a giveaway for you guys. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram at Lauren Bostick. 
and someone from the team will slide into your DMs. I think they're going to send you like a major variety pack, all the canned wine you could ever wish for. And I'm telling you, once you try this wine, you're going to be so impressed. It is boozy. It is good. It is dry. It is sugar-free. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Enjoy. 